podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Happy New Year and welcome along to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the independent Derby County podcast. As we usher in 2021, give a resounding get stuffed to 2020, the change of year provided a typically Derby rollercoaster of results, which was symbolic of this season's relegation struggle and the fine margins of the championship. The Rams finished the year by climbing out the bottom three on December the 29th, only to tumble back into the drop zone again on January the 2nd after that infuriating 1-0 defeat at Hillsborough. Just when it looks like we're ready to pull out of relegation trouble, there's another avoidable setback. And let's not even talk about that cursed takeover. Joining me, Chris Parsons, to ask where Derby's priorities lie, what should our New Year's resolutions be, and look back on the Rams' festive fixtures are. Anton, you all right? Happy New Year. Hi, boys. Happy New Year. And uh, and Tom, how did you see off 2020? What were your New Year plans? Uh, a online escape room, which was always good fun. And then uh, lots of alcohol before realising it was one o'clock and I probably shouldn't pour myself a large whiskey. And so I poured a large whiskey. There's always time for a large whiskey on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of booze and all that stuff... Don't forget that Steve Bloom is watching. He's partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. Do give those guys a uh, a look on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But it's uh, yeah, two very contrasting results either side of New Year. That resounding, comprehensive, wonderful four 0 win at St Andrews against Birmingham just before the end of uh, of twenty twenty, which pulled us out the bottom three only to uh, for Derby to crash back down to earth with that uh, ridiculous defeat to Sheffield Wednesday, a way in which we create the chances. And Anton and I said on a verdict, but if you don't convert them, you're always liable to concede a sloppy goal and lose 1-0. And that's exactly what happens. One of the most concerning parts, Anton, is that Derby haven't gained a single point from a losing position this season how concerned are you by that and and why has it happened why when we go behind are we just incapable of getting anything from games in a moment yeah I mean it, it is definitely concerning but what I would say is is that Friday night was definitely very different to some of the kind of defeats that we had earlier on in the season and and this Wayne Rooney team is is very different to the the one that we had under Koku um Previously, the confidence was so low and we were creating so few chances that we didn't look likely to score even before the opponent scored, let alone after. Whereas on Friday night, clearly we, we created enough chances to, to win two or three games. And it was just the, the kind of sucker punch of a goal that um, kind of sapped all the energy out of the team and, and we couldn't pick ourselves up. Um, it is it is disappointing that we weren't able to, to, to do that and recover, um, but it is kind of understandable given... The, the number of chances we created and how well we played certainly in the first half an hour that we couldn't find the goal and, and we couldn't kill it off before Sheffield Wednesday did score. Um, it is something that Rooney will have to look at because we, we don't want it to become uh, a trait of this team. Um, but 
I think in if, if if we play similarly in in future games, you'd expect at least one or two of those goals to go in in the first half hour, and then it wouldn't be um, a problem in the first place. I think uh, your point about the goal from Callum Patterson sapping the energy out of Derby is is really important because that that's been the problem with Derby this season, where we go behind and then we we don't look like we've got the the balls and the character to come back and. Uh, take a claim to remain in the match. We almost like look like we give up a game, uh, and it's kind of inevitable sort of troll towards ninety minutes, and then an inevitable defeat. And that's that's been the way all season. And the second half for me, I thought was really poor. The first thirty minutes was brilliant. The fifteen minutes before half time, we lost a bit of um, bit of shape, and that was because the game became quite like bitty, and we went down to their level. But I thought the second half, I was really disappointed with the the performance. And you're right, Anton. If we'd have taken one or two of those chances in the first 30 minutes it would have been a very different game and it comes down to a point which I made a couple of weeks ago uh, for me and that's luck Derby got the luck on uh, the 29th against Birmingham with the mistakes on the defending and some of the calamitous uh, errors that at the back um, we didn't have any luck on New Year's Day where chances were hitting the back of Sheffield Wednesday defenders heels they were just clattering into our own players on the goal line and stuff and the ball just wasn't going over the line so yeah it does it does really worry me that we haven't picked up a single point from a losing position this season and despite Rooney's promises that that really concerns me to the point where I'm like that's relegation stuff teams who don't pick up points when they're losing they get relegated and I am really really concerned about that even though we have had a a massive improvement in performances and also results in the last few weeks. What I would say is under Rooney that that is probably the first time that we've we've fully seen us go behind and and just kind of completely stop playing um the the Preston game was obviously very different it was a it was a 97th minute winner after being down to 10 men so you can't really put that in the same bracket and and before that we we haven't really had a similar performance under Rooney so hopefully this is just a one-off and and hopefully Rooney is working on that and and working on building the confidence um, so that we can kind of put some of those results earlier on in the season behind us. So look at those chances that we did have against Sheffield Wednesday, at literally three uh, in the first half that that could and should have been put away. Uh, the first one, a, a, a great bit of build-up play, uh, I think the cross comes across from Juzviek, um, sort of eludes everyone in the middle and then Graham Shinney has, has basically got a freedom of Hillsborough from about, what, 10 yards out, you're just waiting it, waiting for him to just put his foot through it, smash it low and hard, um, and then the, the chances are surely incredibly high that it goes in somehow. But bizarrely, Tommy decides to try and side foot it, instep it, and try and pick out the far corner. I don't think he even got it on target. I think it was going a couple of yards wide, and then a Wednesday defender just like ballooned it over the bar. I, I guess it doesn't get that many goals, but it did strike me as the finish of, of someone who... Uh, you know, who who doesn't expect to be in that position very often. But what I was going to say is, I don't think anyone's really mentioned this that much. The pitch wasn't great, was it, at Hillsborough? And I thought maybe that was a bit of a factor because Shinny's one in particular, maybe one or two others, did take a bit of a bubble, but which maybe affected how well we would have taken those chances. Uh, yeah, I was going to defend Shinny with the bubble. I think there was a there was a bit of a bubble in front of him. Um, and there were a lot of Sheffield Wednesday defenders on the line. They got back well. And I think it was Bannon who ended up ballooning it over the bar. Um, but you're, you're right. Those he, he tried to pick a spot, whereas I think just put your foot through it. But again, the confidence on the pitches. And it's not just Hillsborough 
Pride Park looks a mess and loads of the championship pitches look a look a mess because of their their sort of use over this season. And it's it's obviously quite difficult for players to play and have confidence in playing as well. Like and so that that maybe had a, an impact there. But there were other chances as well. The header from Bielik, which um was about five or six yards out, it then I, I think it hit Knight when he fell over onto the floor and then it seemed like it was going to be scrambled in at the back post. Uh, I think it was Bielik who flashed a left footed shot just wide of the post and I thought that was in the brilliant cross from Forsyth for Colin Kazin Richards, whose whose run was fantastic. He just doesn't keep his header down, and that rattles off the bar. Like I think there were three times in the first thirty minutes, I celebrated a goal before the ball hit the back of the net, uh, and then was like, "How has that not gone in?" And um, we were really unfortunate in the first thirty minutes. I thought I thought Derby were brilliant uh, for that period and really built on the the performance against Birmingham City, but the ball just didn't go in the back of the net, and then our, our heads dropped slightly. And um, it became we, we went down to their level, I think, and that was the that's the biggest compliment to Sheffield Wednesday we can give them because they were toilet and we became as bad as they were, and they then scrapped it out for against us and got the got the fortunate goal. Well, yeah, that's um, the point I was going to bring you in on, Anton. I um, I was just texting a, a mate of mine who's a Wednesday fan during that game, uh, and he basically said what Thomas said there, and I think it's important to to keep in mind what other fans think of your team when you're in this situation, because that gives the the perspective. Like we all know, we all have our opinions and we all think that Derby should be better than they are, but it's what neutrals think of us that that matters as much, if not more, because they've got maybe a bit more perspective perhaps. And, and you know, they're more, they're a bit more level-headed and rational, but they would, my, my, my mate is a Wednesday fan was saying that, um, you know, look, if, if, if CKR buries that header, we probably go on to win two or three nil. And the second thing he said was that he just thought generally, Derby a miles better than Wednesday, um, and that because of that, we, we we should be okay. Would you agree with that assessment? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, c- certainly first half hour, as we've already mentioned, we we really picked up where we left off from Birmingham and and games before that as well. The energy and intensity were were so high. We we didn't let Sheffield Wednesday get out at all, and and that led to creating chances as well and on any other day we would have been three or four up after that first half hour so I, I don't think we can be too concerned about the the result the performance was definitely there um, and it's just a shame we didn't get more out of that game. Tom there's an interesting quote from Rooney afterwards uh, he said that I felt we got a bit bored of doing the right things found the game maybe a bit too easy at times and we took our foot off the gas taking more touches rather than doing the things we worked on and it has cost us. What things do you think he's talking about there? What is it that we stopped doing that let Wednesday back into the game? Yeah, I, th- I thought we had um, a really good good sort of width in the first half hour. I thought Forsyth was getting uh, down the flank well, uh, down the left. I thought Jozviak was uh, causing problems down the right um, as well. And I thought that we stretched Sheffield Wednesday and were putting crosses into the box and and also just dominating the middle because... Um, like Bielik and Shinny and Knight were winning every single second ball that was coming out of the Wednesday box. So we just pinned them in into the um, into their box and into around their th- sort of 30 yards from their goal. And we're just like, we're so dominant from them. And then it wasn't quite happening for us. So we almost tried to do something different. And that was to just sort of barrage our way through, which initially it did start to work. But then then things got a bit bitty and we got a bit stretched ourselves with, um, I think it's Kadeem Harris's pace. He caused us some problems. And then suddenly we became a bit like uncertain about where to go next do we continue to try and like batter them um by lumping balls forward or do we go back to playing how we did for the first 25 30 minutes and that was playing the ball out wide and getting crosses into the box uh, and trying to beat the 
uh, beat the fullback. And in the end, we went to the playing a lot longer. Um, we went a lot narrower. I thought the decision to by Rooney to go into a diamond with about 10 to 15 minutes left was... I can understand why he did it, but I think it was the wrong thing because usually acting to move into the centre and we just got, the pitch was just so overcrowded and we needed some some genuine width, which we've bemoaned all season. We haven't got. Um, so yeah, I, I totally see Rooney's points and that, that Rooney's Rooney's comments there actually are the ones that give me some hope because he he clearly understands what we're doing wrong and he clearly can identify those problems and that's where I think that the performance and the recent results, as I say, do give us reason for, for hope. Yeah, I agree with Tom that the the change of shape definitely didn't help. Um, but I think it was really the the intensity levels that dropped after that goal because we we just had all kind of energy sucked out of us. It, the reason we've been so good in the last few games is is how hard we've been working and and how difficult we've been making it for the opposition to to play. And that both goes for on on the ball and off the ball. Um, on, on the ball, we've we've been making so many runs. Um, and there's been so much movement going forward that there's always an option. We, we haven't been doing anything particularly complicated. It's just been very high energy levels and, and everyone wants the ball. But it's been off the ball, which has probably been the most impressive. And that's what really dropped off, I think, after their goal on Friday night. Um, we, we made it far too easy for Wednesday to to have time on the ball and to get out, which is what we weren't doing in the first half hour. We, we, we were pressing in the final third. We were winning the ball back and Sheffield Wednesday just didn't have any time to set. And it just kept building that pressure and that um, intensity. And it, it led to chances. It led to kind of corners and touches inside the box. But that completely dropped off. We allowed Sheffield Wednesday to get get out and it just made the, the game much less intense and... Um, made it far too easy for Wednesday to defend against. Tom, the, uh, the the salt in the wound with all this, of course, was that we dominated, created chances, missed them, conceded a, a rubbish goal. And then just when we're, we're trying to pile on the pressure, throw the kitchen sink in at the very end, Lee Buchanan puts in a cross-come shot. It quite clearly hits Kadeem Harris on part of his arm, regardless of where his arm is in relation to his body. It looked to me, I'm not going to claim to entirely understand the handball rule these days, but it looked to me like a Stonewall penalty. Why wasn't it given? The referee didn't see it, I think. It's really difficult, Chris, because I, you said on the group that you thought it was a Stonewall penalty and obviously said there as well. It's one for me that I think in the law of the game, if the, the ball hits the hand and it diverts as an advantage, I, I understand that that is now a penalty. And I think if there was VAR, that would have been given as a penalty. The simple fact is that his for me, his hands were down by his side and the ball hits his hand. He doesn't move his hand towards it. So I just I just would feel really bad if that was given as a penalty against Derby. And I know sometimes they are, and that's just the standard of officiating. I understand why that wasn't given as a penalty. Uh, and I would I don't think it is a penalty, personally, because like, literally the only way you can defend then is if you haven't got any arms. And f- footballers clearly have, have up, need arms to balance and stuff. So um, I don't think it was a stonewall penalty. I understand why it wasn't given. Uh, it would have given Derby a deserved point had we have then scored the penalty. Um, and I think the referee just missed it, if if that's the case. And he may well have actually had the similar sort of thinking to me. The ball was hammered at his, his hand from relatively close in. Uh, and I think it actually came past another Sheffield Wednesday player and then hit his hand. So he might have been unsighted by it. And the referee, um, I think he actually gave a goal kick to start with, which is, for me, the only mistake he made in that game. I thought the ref for once was, was actually pretty good um on New Year's Day but yeah I can understand why it wasn't given and it is frustrating um and I think that that law needs clarifying in terms of 
what is and isn't a penalty because I think if we're in the Premier League and that was a VAR decision, I think that's a penalty. I, I do disagree a little bit, Tom, though, because I, I, I see where you're coming from that you wouldn't necessarily want that to be given against you. But the the law is, is quite clear now that if your arm is, is in an unnatural position and it hits your arm in, in the area, that's a penalty. So whether we agree with that rule or not, it, it is a penalty. So um, I, I feel like we, we, we can feel hard done by by that. I can understand the referee's angle probably wasn't the best to, to see that, which is probably why he hasn't given it. And I, I do agree that he had a pretty good game outside of that. But it is a penalty. Um, what, what I would say is is that we, we can't kind of rely on, and, and I said this on the verdict the other day, we, we should have been home and dry before that. So we can't kind of just com- complain about the penalty because we, we should have scored three or four outside of that. But by the letter of the law, for me, that's a penalty. So yeah, that was a grim way to end that game. But look, let's not be too downhearted. That that defeat came only a few days after that that resounding, glorious 4-0 away win at St Andrews, which we have to spend some time talking about, even if it was a few days ago. Because let's be honest, it's not very often we score more than one, let alone two, three, or even four goals away from home. Um Fantastic result, and I just I can't believe what I'm seeing in the first half an hour. Derby roaring into a three nil lead, but Tom, I guess the question to always ask in this sort of game is how much of it came from Birmingham's ineptitude and them gifting us goals versus our own ruthlessness and efficiency and uh, and putting them to the sword. It was a great performance, but what was your uh, assessment of it? Yeah, I think it's a mix, actually, Chris. I, I think quite pleasingly, Derby were playing well before we actually scored. I thought Sibley looked lively, had a good chance, which I think may have led to the corner, which Etheridge managed to tip over the crossbar. Um, the first goal clearly is Birmingham's complete inept- ineptness because Etheridge should claim that ball every single time. I don't care whether the floodlights are slightly lower or something. That's that's the way they're set up. And it, um, he's dropped that ball in a terrible position. And all the Birmingham City players stand and watch it as Matt Clark and then Bielik probably even gives a call by the way Matt Clark reacts because he looks like he's going to try and hook it in and then he stops and Bielik stabs it home. The second one, a Derby defend really well and Marshall releases Craig Forsyth quickly. It's a really good throw out. Um, Forsyth takes a couple of touches and plays Sibley down the line. Another good run and good incisive counter-attacking play. And that was the good play from Derby. And then just stupidity from Harley Dean cleaning out uh, Sibley for for that was a stonewall penalty and a, a fantastic take from from Shinny, and then the next goal again into a dangerous area for the corner. Uh, great flick on, and Derby has caused problems because they got three or four players in that in that middle area, and and so it's a mix again in terms of Derby's good set piece play uh, and also some poor defending. You want a you want a defender to be clearing that ball out at the front post, but I think it's Clark gets the flick on, and then uh, CKRs at the back post just to stab at home from about five centimeters. So um, I think Derby played really well, especially in the first half. Again, we took the game to Birmingham City, and for once we had a bit of luck, and the ball ended up in the back of the net, and we we rode that luck and we took full advantage. So a really, really pleasing performance to to see off a really, really bad year. Yeah, three slightly questionable, maybe slightly lucky goals in the first half, Anton, but no doubt whatsoever about the quality that led to the fourth goal, Jason Knight's tap-in. What I loved about it was when Juzviek gets the ball, it's just great wing play. It's just, it's just brilliant, intelligent uh, attacking play. We, we've, we've had wingers in the past who get the ball in that position, just get the head down, motor towards the touchline, uh, then you know run out of room, don't have an, a final ball in them, don't 
can't make the correct decision. But when Juzviet gets the ball, he's got two players around him. He faces up the Blues defender, realises that he hasn't quite had the standing start to, to beat him for pace. Um, so sort of chops back, great little bit of technique from his right to his left, gets his head up quite quickly, just look, look into the space. And then the ball that he puts in, wow. I mean, just an absolutely sensational cross, like inch perfect. You couldn't have dreamt of a, a better cross, took the entire Birmingham backline out of the game on his weaker foot. And it's just really great to see a player that can do that sort of damage with both feet and make those great decisions at difficult times. Yeah, really good from Jos. And he's been consistently good over the last couple of months, actually. So um, no no great surprise there. But what, what's really impressed me, actually, with Juzviak is how he's adapted to playing on that right-hand side over his t- during his time at Derby. When, when, when he first arrived, he was very much mostly comfortable on, on that left wing. Um, that's that's where he wanted to play. And, and when he moved across to the right-hand side, he didn't look quite as effective. But given the number of players that we do have that who prefer that left side, he's kind of been forced into playing on that right-hand side. And he's adapted his game superbly well. And, and now he looks almost as comfortable on that right wing as he does on the left wing. And, and that, that goal just epitomised that really. His, his confidence to cut in on his... Um, left foot, um, even up against two defenders where they, they probably expect him to go to the byline and, and get a ball in right footed, just shows how far he's come, even in his, his few months at Derby. Um, and he's he's a real asset to have on, on either wing, um, but really good to have someone um, comfortable playing on that right hand side as well. So re- really good to see and hopefully um, more to come uh, on that front from yours as well. What I liked about the uh, Birmingham game was the chemistry between Jozviak and uh, Nathan Byrne. The the goal actually stems, you can see Byrne starting to make a run down the right-hand side. So the Birmingham defenders are then a bit concerned about, well, if they don't track Byrne, then Jozviak can slip him in. And he's obviously the most creative player uh, that we've had so far this season, creating the most chances. So one of them sort of follows him and they get a bit off off balance and it allows Jos that half a yard of space and he puts in a fantastic ball uh, and Jason Knight then finishes it fantastically as well. So, um, yeah, as you say, Anton, really, really pleasing uh, to see him start to hit some form. Still need to create a few more chances, uh, I think. And I thought his second half wasn't as as good as it could have been. But I think he's been one of the main reasons for the revival and the creativity and the amount of goals that we've been um we've been scoring teams are scared of him and they know he's a really talented player so I think I think it's really going to come come together in 2021 for him and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him in the Derby shirt over the next couple of years yeah he was great against Birmingham uh faded I thought quite quite badly in the second half against Wednesday but then so did a lot of players but the fact remains that when him and Burton you right to raise it when they're both playing well at the same time that is a great little a great little axis great little partnership that they do have down that right-hand side. Um, just a more general point to, to wrap up the first half. Uh, going back to the Philip Koku days, I spoke to somebody recently for for a book project um, and they, they asked me about Koku and they said that Philip Koku, the problem he had was that he was trying to play chess in a division where people play hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think one of the main reasons for our revival, Anton, is the fact that we are just nastier. We, we we win second balls. We put our foot in more. We're so much less passive than we used to be. It's the fact that we're going back to basics and playing to our strengths more the, the main reason for the revival, would you say? I think it's definitely one of the, the key factors. I mean, you look at that three 
um, three-man midfield now, and it, it, it is nasty, isn't it? It's, it's difficult to play against because they're they're very energetic. They're in your face, and and you just don't have any time on the ball. Um, Shinny and, and Bielik in particular, but Knight's just everywhere as well. And and CKR up top is is a handful as well. So I I think we're definitely more more nasty um and we're, we're definitely more direct and and the tempo is much higher so we're getting the ball forward more quickly we're not allowing the defense to set i think ckr has been a, a really key factor in that because previously we didn't we didn't really have anyone to to play that direct ball up to um who, who it would stick to and he could kind of bring in other players ckr has been so good at that um, over the course of the last few games and, and has allowed us to have that extra kind of out ball um, to, to, so that we're not relying on just playing it around at the back, which we were doing previously and it was just far too slow and, and the defence got set far too easily. So, yeah, it's a combination of a few things. I think kind of tempo, intensity, nastiness and, and directness have, have all had a, a factor to play. More coming up on Steve Bloomer's washing in just a second, but don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. The reason you want to subscribe is because whenever we release a new episode, you'll get a little alert on your phone or your iPad or your device or whatever um, as soon as that drops. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Hi, I'm Paolo Wanchop, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's washing. Commons getting in each other's way. Teal with support from McEvely. And Green, it's 2-2. What a fight by Bantarby County. They did it the hard way against Forest Green in the third round when they came back from two down to win 4-3. And they're back to 2-2 here at the city ground. So I want to start the second half of our first pod of 2021 with some uh, New Year's resolutions. This is the time of year to make them, to uh, say to yourself, what areas are you going to improve in? Maybe set yourself a few targets for the 12 months to come, a few goals, a few things you want to achieve. So we put this out to you guys on our Twitter page, at Steve Bloomer Pod. Just what should Derby County's New Year's resolutions be, whether it's uh, tactical or um, on the pitch, off the pitch, physical, mental, spiritual, anything that sort of that sort of stuff. And we had a few answers back. Um, Borough Ram tweeted us to say, "Keep Juzviek, Knight, and Bielik for another calendar year at least. Don't be a soft touch in the upcoming transfer windows." Uh, Tom Newton said, apart from the obvious, which is the, uh, the takeover, which I mentioned when we asked. Uh, Rooney, McLaren and the backroom staff should all be signed for at least another two and a half seasons. Uh, a striker and another signed signed or loaned player coming in. Contracts sorted for those who run out at the end of this and next season. Uh, get fans back in the stadium. Don't have as much diving to do about that, but I see your point. And sort out the scouting system. Um, Norway Mark, he tweeted us to say, be more open with the fans again. The new owner should be getting involved in the community, if not in person, then in resources. And uh, Andrew Woodman tweeted us to say, McLaren and Rooney should stay. Uh, We need stable ownership and more sustainable finances. Another striker, brackets, possibly Derson, decide on Ibe. And if not, then go for another winger. Uh, Cover at central defence and maybe midfield as well. Tie up the youth products to contracts and consider the futures of Lawrence and homes um tom do you have any 
particular areas must improve areas for Derby where they should make New Year's resolutions, would you say? I, I can't add anything to what was included. I had a, a little scribble beforehand and I had recruitment because I think our recruitment's generally not been great. We haven't bought in players who have, have generally gone in and improved the team and and uh, and been like good sell-on values for, for quite a while. Um, our recruitment's definitely been patchy. A new striker would certainly be needed to as a, as a foil for CKR or even an improvement for him. Uh, and also to keep positive, I think we, we've seen improvement in the team uh, under Rooney over the last eight or nine games, despite the, the the negatives and despite the problems that we still got, so I still think there is there's work to do. But I think there is um, there is a lot of lot of good things that are going on at the club on the pitch at the moment, which we couldn't have said, I would say, back in uh, October, early November. So yeah, I can't add, add too much more uh, to the the good points from our listeners there. So thanks for them. I just wonder if one of the resolutions we should have one of the uh, one of our listeners mentioned tying up the youth products. There, I feel like Jason Knight is now by far and away the player that we need to um you know make feel loved i know he signed a three-year a new three-year deal in january but anton do you think he is now the player that we are most in danger of losing out of the um out of the four or five academy products that have made it into the first team i, I think currently yes purely because he's he's played so many minutes this season and he, he's so informed that people are going to notice him and it, he's been so consistently good as well this season, which is often the the difficulty for young players. So I think at the moment, yes, but I think the others haven't just gone away. They they haven't just suddenly suddenly become poor players overnight. Technically, they're very good, and I'm sure their time will come at some point this season. So I I, I yes, we ha- we have to tie down Jason Knight, but I, I think we've got to tie them all down to be honest because um, they're, they're all talents and, and they'll all have their part to play in a Derby shirt over the next year or so. Well, one of the players we mentioned there was uh, Serdar Dursen, the uh, striker who's playing his, playing his trade in the German second tier who Derby was strongly linked with in the summer window. I think the consensus is that there was interest. We did go for it. Um, but his club Darmstadt held out for a bit more money, uh, which at the time... Derby weren't prepared to pay. Um, we're still looking at him. And the reason he's come up again is, is because uh, he commented on one of Jason Knight's goals on Instagram. So he clearly knows who we are. He It sounds like he's up for a move. He's clearly um, a player who would, who, who would fit the task. He's a decent age, 29, uh, tall, scores goals, has a good record. I'm not quite sure about the fact that he posts videos of his own goals and puts uh, hashtags Latan about himself. <laughs> um, I mean, there's confidence and then there's that, isn't it? But that's uh, I'll, I'll let that slide for a while. But the, the question is, Anton, can we actually buy him? Because uh, as we all know, the Brexit transition period is now over. We're officially out of the EU and that has significantly moved the goalposts. We may have been in a position to get him before, but can you just explain the current state of affairs and if uh, and how good our chances are now of him becoming a Derby player? Yeah, so I've been doing a bit of research on this um, purely because of the Dursun situation. And, and it basically comes down to the fact that in a post-Brexit world, it's, it's now much more complicated for Europeans to be granted a visa to allow them to work in the UK. And, and this also applies to football as well. Um, the football work permit, guidelines use a points-based system you need to reach 15 points in order to automatically qualify for a work permit and these points are granted based on a player's international status and club status for Durson 
international status is irrelevant because he doesn't have any international caps yet. So we're left with club status and, and Derson's playing involvement with the club. Um, the number of points available within these categories depend on which league band your club is in. Um, Derson plays for, for Darmstadt, as you mentioned, Chris, in, in the German second division, which is a band four league. Um, so this gives Derson six points for club status and a maximum of six additional points for the number of minutes that Derson has played for Darmstadt. Um, and clearly Darmstadt are also not involved with any European competitions, such as Champions League or anything. So there's no extra points available there for that. So all in all, that means a maximum of 12 points for Derson, three short of the required 15 points for a work permit. And it would all come down to a potential appeal due to exceptional circumstances. The main two examples that are given for exceptional circumstances are either proving that Derson is an exceptional young talent, which is probably a bit of a push despite uh, Derson's videos, um, or that there are extenuating circumstances preventing him from reaching 15 points, which I don't think there are, to be honest. So it's not looking great, to be honest. Um, the only thing which could potentially help the cause in our favour is if we'd already made the agreement with Darmstadt before January and permits and things like that were already in place. But even then, I'm, I'm not sure it's strictly covered by the new regulations. So it seems like Brexit may put pay to that um, amongst many other things as well. So, I mean, we can still hold out hope, but I can only hope that we've got some other options um, on the cards as well as Derson. We should give credit to, I think it was uh, Ram Srivanas on, um, on on Twitter, who I think it was him, and I may have said his name wrong, so apologies, Ram, but I believe it was um, uh, it was him who initially outlined this point system and explained it to us Derby fans, which Anton has, uh, has sort of relayed to our listeners there. So thank you very much for that um a few other bits and pieces transfer wise tom um this is an interesting one a fan who i believe was connected with espn and wrote for them and wrote about um stoke city although i don't know what his credentials are in terms of breaking transfer stories but it certainly got fans talking is a possible loan return of tom Ince. uh what do you make of that one for me it's it's interesting because he uh, a had the best spell of his entire footballing career under Steve McLaren, who is now back. So it makes sense on that on, on, in in that sense. Um, he would fit our system, but who would he replace? Would he replace Ibe before he's even got going, or would he replace uh, Lawrence, who is um, one of our main players and most sellable assets? Um, but he is twenty nine. He hasn't played well for quite a long time. Um, seems to be unloved and, and generally a bit surplus to requirements at Stoke. And for me, I don't know, it, it does just seem to st- sort of stink a bit of, a, of, a, of a, a desperate move for a player that used to be good for us five years ago. There's no real guarantees he can replicate that form. And I just wonder if it is a bit of a risky one. How did you react when you first saw it? Yeah, I think if if we're signing him on loan for the end of the season, I, don't, I think that's probably a pretty good effort. Um, and I would go for that because I think he would be an upgrade on on Lawrence and on Waghorn, who are currently playing in those wide wide positions. And he is a danger. He's not played that much for Stoke this season, uh, eight times, seven in the league, and he hasn't scored a goal uh, for them. So as you say, he's a bit unloved, but he's the kind of player that you wrap him around in a bit of cotton wool and you you tell him that he's great and he, he comes good. And he 
he did have a fantastic spell at Derby and we we made a lot of money on on Tom Ince because he he had such a good sort of run of form. I think he scored 23 goals in 46 games under McLaren. So yeah, he's he's obviously a talented player and I think as a short-term option to help us get out of this mess. Uh, yes, I don't see an issue with that. Um we'd obviously have to be careful with with wages and stuff like that, but as a longer term thing, would would I say should we buy him? Um, my answer would be no. There, I think we still need to to build on the players that we've got here, uh, and maybe sell and reinvest if we're we're going to do that. On the likes of Lawrence, Holmes, and Waghorn, are, are they um, are they saleable assets that we could then bring in somebody else? And also, I think we've got quite a lot of young players who are coming through who will become good in the next year or two, but are just struggling for a bit of confidence and form and also a bit of physicality because they're such young players. The likes of uh, Mitchell Lawson and, and uh, Whitaker as examples there. there. There are obviously others who have played in the team uh, like Stretton. So short-term loan, I would be, I'd be keen to see that happen. I think that'd be a good one, but I, I don't think longer term, i.e. next season, I, I don't think that would be the best thing for the club. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Tom there with the, the short-term loan option, um, depending on, on how much that's going to cost. I think it's a, a pretty good option. The, the, the clear benefit that he has versus Ibe is that he's been playing football regularly, so hopefully it wouldn't take him long to, to fit into the team. And, and we are desperately short for, for options in those wide positions, especially at the moment with, with Lawrence out and, and Waghorn suspended. And and we, we, we are kind of desperately needing someone to, to fill in there. Um, he's only scored 11 goals in, in the last three and a half years or whatever since leaving Derby. So his form is is the main issue. But if it's just the short-term loan and it's not going to cost us too much, then it's it's relatively low risk. I do wonder if there is any truth in it, what that does mean for, for Jordan Ibe. Um, it's just, it's desperately sad. It's so disappointing that he hasn't really been able to get going so far we all know that when he came into the club in September he had huge fitness issues basically hadn't really kicked the ball for the best part of a year if not longer uh, he was working his way back to fitness Koku said it'd take four or five weeks then he was struck down with um, gastroenteritis not once but twice I believe uh, he almost shifted it and then had a recurrence then Rooney said in mid-November that Jordan Ibe was um, training uh, he made another appearance with the 23s, scored a penalty. And then just when you think, right, okay, let's let's unleash him. He's ready to go. He's uh, he's left out of a squad because of some sort of internal disciplinary issue. It's just one thing after another. And look, I, we, we can't lay all the blame for this at Jordan Ives' feet. He's got his demons. He's got his issues. Um, but I think what it comes down to, Tom, is if this is going to work for him, he has to be the one to make it work. I think we're getting to a point where it is, how much does Jordan I want this? Do you agree? Uh, yeah, without really knowing the details, and Rooney said he wasn't going to talk about the details of the internal investigation into I, like we, we can't really comment too much, but clearly there is something bigger than just match fitness and, and footballing fitness going on there. And whatever it is, the, the young man needs support um, and we can't really comment too much. But yeah, hopefully he he has got the the attitude and determination to to continue to have a career in professional football. And hopefully that's at Derby. And if we can see any sort of sparks in the next sort of six months, I think he'll be a, a real asset. But um, something something needs to happen. And I don't know what that is without knowing the details of the investigation. So all the best to him. And hopefully hopefully something happens positively soon. We'll keep it. Uh, we'll keep a bit more upbeat for just before we uh, we round off with a quiz. Um, we've got a winnable game next, lads. Chorley away. Surely that's a winnable game for us. You'd have thought. Um, third round of the cup. The old potential banana skin in play there. But 
I tweeted this myself just to ask uh, how many players do we rest? Because after Chorley, it's then Rotherham at home and QPR away, I think. Two absolutely biblically enormous games in our fight to, to stay out the bottom three. Um, so look, what do you think is more important? For me, I think we've got to be rotating here. I know it's Chorley. I know they'll be up for it. And I am sort of picturing the scene of like Morgan Whittaker up against a, uh, you know, some robust Chorley defenders who'll probably enjoy booting him into the stand in the first five minutes. Um, but look, we've got to have the quality to get through this. I think we need to rotate because we need to keep the likes of Bielik and Marshall and Clark and CKR, who is 34 and has played a lot of football recently. We need to keep them safe. Um, it's not so much about the um, about them tiring because it is only a couple of games in two weeks. It's more just the risk of injury for me, I think. We cannot risk suspension or injury if suspensions count, but we can't risk certainly injury to these players at this point in the season. So who would you bring in, uh, Tom, and who would you rest for Chorley? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly rest Bielik, um, and I'd probably rest Yuzviak as well. Uh, apart from that, I think a reasonable strength side. Uh, I'd like to see Bird come back into the midfield, and maybe Holmes, uh, if Lawrence is fit, and I think Waghorn might be available. Um, I'd, I'd bring those back in and, and play a reasonable team just to try and get um, keep the momentum and keep the togetherness going. Um, we've had a, a week's break, just over a week's break it will have been from the Shepherd Wednesday game, and I know then I think Rotherham's on the Tuesday night following Chorley. Um but at the end of the day, Chorley are a National League North side. They're on a good run of form, but they are a mid-table team. I think they've only lost. I think they lost on New Year's Day, but they they hadn't lost before that in the league since about October time. Um, but they're National League North. Whatever we put out there, we should be beating them. And if we don't, then it's embarrassing, and we deal with that and move on. What would be worse in the longer term is the fact that we get relegated. So I'd rather lose to Chorley on Saturday next week and and stay up than beat Chorley five nil and have Bielik or Uzviak or some key member of the team injured. Um, and then get relegated because of that. So really, Saturday for me is is totally irrelevant, which is horrible for me to say because I love the third round of the FA Cup, but we're in such a difficult position at the bottom of the league. That's much more important for for long-term Derby County fan happiness than a, than a, a bit of abuse for losing to a National League North side, which we shouldn't do, by the way. I, I think, although I, I don't really care about the FA Cup this year, similar to you guys, I, I think we have to make sure we don't lose next week because we need to maintain some of the confidence and momentum that we have built up over the last month or so. And a defeat against a non-league side is could be enough to, to completely shatter that no matter what team you put out. So we've got to have a, a decent enough team to, to make sure we win, um, which, as you say, Tom, should be kind of any team we put out, but we, we do need to make sure of that. Um, but your point, Chris, about kind of making sure we, we don't get some of those key players injured is is the the main thing that I'd want to consider when we think about rotating. So, I mean, the, the key players that we, we absolutely can't lose are probably kind of Bielik and, and Kazim Richards. So those two I, I would definitely take out. Um, I, th- I think there's definitely an argument for taking Jozviak out as well as, as our best winger at the moment. Um, other than that, I'm I'm happy to kind of play most of the others um, because I, I feel like we've we've got enough cover in some of the other positions. The only one that I, I imagine Rooney will probably bring Ruse in just to give um, him a bit of a run out and, and give Marshall a rest. And you might want to kind of 
think about resting um, Jason Knight, just given the number of minutes he's he's played this season and and his age at the moment. Um, although, as we've seen with Jason Knight, he could probably play on the Friday night and the Sunday morning and still be absolutely amazing on the Saturday. He's, he's got that much energy. So, I mean, Rooney will know how much energy everyone's got. Um, the, the key thing is is to not pick up any key injuries. All I'll say is, uh, cast your mind back two years, Atkinson away in the FA Cup when Mason Mount, uh, Mason, Mason Mount got injured. <laughs> and I don't know, I've just got horrible um, premonitions and, and flashbacks to that sort of thing happening again, which we cannot... We, we could barely afford it then when we were chasing the top six. We definitely can't afford it now when we're trying to stay out of the bottom three. So there you go. Well, um, 2020 was famously the year of quizzes. Uh, but, you know, look, we're the podcast of quizzes. So um, we're going to do another one. We're going to start 2021 as we left 2020. Anton, you're in the um, you're in the chair this week. What you got for us? Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, as we've just mentioned, it is... Big day next weekend, FA Cup third round, big, big day in, in the football calendar. So what I've got is a, a little FA Cup themed quiz for you. Um, simple enough, five questions. Whoever gets the most correct answers wins. And I do have a, a little tiebreaker at the end in case the scores are level. So um, question number one um, is, which team have been our most frequent opponent in the FA Cup this century, having been drawn against them four times? I've got a couple of possible answers, but I'm pretty sure neither is correct. That is a really hard question. Okay, question two. It wouldn't be a, a Derby County FA Cup quiz without mentioning that comeback against Forest in 2009. 3-2, of course, the, the final score that day. Um, can you name the three scorers in that game? Point for each. Uh, yeah, go on then. Point, point for each. Point for each. Okay, question three. Which defender was the unlikely player to score two goals in two consecutive rounds back in 2010? Okay, I think I've got an answer for that. Yeah. Number four. Derby haven't necessarily had the most convincing record against lower league opposition in the FA Cup um, in recent times. Hopefully that changes next week. But our most emphatic performance in recent years came back in 2013 when we ran out 5-0 winners. But who was that against? So we beat we beat someone 5-0 in the FA Cup in 2013. So that was third round. Ready, Tom? Yeah. And the last question, um, another slightly tricky one. Um, our two top scorers in the FA Cup since 2000 each have four goals. Can you name either one of those players? Okay, yeah, I'm good. I've got five answers. Not particularly confident about any of them. <laughs> right, so question one. Um, our most frequent opponent in the FA Cup since 2000. Any guesses on that one? I went for Reading, which I'm not particularly confident about. I plumped with Man United because we've played those a lot. The correct answer is indeed Manchester United. Oh, we've played no. them four times yeah. since 2000. Most recently, I think, last year or a couple of years ago I've, I've overthought it there i've made the classic mistake i've overthought it so simple <laughs> so question two was the comeback against forest can you name the three goal scorers i went for chris commons of course rob hulse and paul green they are all correct yep. well Get done chris. I, I went i went in a slightly different order but the same same players nice good work both question three a little bit more tricky. Which defender was the unlikely player to score two goals in two rounds in 2010? Any guesses on that one? 
this was really tough, Anton. Um, I thought maybe Jordan Stewart is an out there post, uh, Jake Buxton, but then I plumped for Sean Barker. I went for Miles Addison. You are both incorrect because it was oh. actually Jay McEverly versus, oh. versus Doncaster in the fourth round and Birmingham in the fifth round. Um, yeah, so Jay Mack got two in two rounds in 2010. I completely erase that from my memory. <laughs> With good reason, I think, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Um, so question four was the 5 nil win back in 2013. Um, who was that against? I, um, I had two. I couldn't, I couldn't think. I was like, there's two Northwestern teams. One was Southport and one was Tranmere. And Chris Martin scored a penalty in the last minute to beat one of them. And I think that was Southport. So therefore, my answer is Tranmere Rovers. My answer is also Tranmere Rovers. You're both correct. Good memory. Tranmere Rovers was the correct answer. So the scores at the moment are 3-2 to Tom. I'll, I'll just count number two as, as one point each as you as you both got them all. So 3-2 to Tom going into the, the last question, which is um, a tricky one. So still time for Chris to pull it back. Um, two top scorers in the FA Cup since 2000. Both have four goals. Who did you go for, Chris? So I put Craig Bryson originally, despite not being able to remember any of the actual goals. Um, then I changed my mind and I went for Paul Pesky Salido. I thought it would be Chris Commons and Chris Martin and my answer was Chris Martin. So I can tell you that the two players to have four goals since 2000 are Darren Bent and nice. Paul Pesky Solido. So Chris yeah, gets the point. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> for, for a late equaliser, it's 3-3 three, three after five questions. So Things I'd... in your way end for that one. Incredible. <laughs> so tiebreaker time then, Anton. Yeah, so tiebreaker. Um, so all I want is a, is a number from both of you and the, the closest, the correct answer will win it. And the, the tiebreaker is how many goals have we scored in the FA Cup this century? Okay, I've got, got I've got a number. Uh, yeah, okay, I've got a number for what it's worth. <laughs> it's a complete guess. Chris, as, as you got a late equaliser, I'll get you to go first. So what did you go for? I went for um, 67. I was a, a little bit lower than that because I think we had a couple of lean years where we A, didn't score and B, didn't get out of the third round. So I went 48. So both pretty good guesses, I have to say. Um but the correct answer, very close to, to one of you, was 65. Oh, wow. So Chris, Chris takes it. Chris takes it. <laughs> really good guess of 67. Two hours. I mean, my, my working was basically 20 seasons. I, I had a sort of a pot shot that we maybe scored on average four or five goals per season in the cup. So that's about 100 goals. Then I remembered how bad we were in the cup and I decided to chalk off about 30 of those goals and I ended up about 70. So. Like, a, like a true mathematician. Yeah, there you go. That was a genuinely excellent quiz, yeah. especially because I won. Um, so we're going to return in a couple of weeks uh, where maybe Derby will have an extra striker, maybe some new owners, maybe be at the bottom three, maybe in, be in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Who knows? It's all very uncertain at the moment. But uh, Anton, thanks for that excellent quiz and thanks for joining us. No problem. Cheers, boys. Tom, a pleasure as always, an honour and a privilege. All the best, guys. Cheers, thank you.